0: auburn observer podcast your sunday recap edition uh your free one and buddy once again for the second week in a row painter i'm like well i'm glad this this podcast is free um because Auburn. I mean, I feel like we're gonna we're gonna sit here and talk about kind of some of the same stuff we talked about last week, but at this time, in a loss, Auburn falling to South Carolina, thirty to twenty-two on Saturday, and I mean, here we go again, uh, another game where Auburn starts off really well. Something major happens. You know, there's there's big play issues uh, that swing the momentum of the game swing the way the direction is going in the game, and helps out a team that was worse than Auburn not only get back in the game, but take the lead and keep it. Felt a lot like the Arkansas game, just in it, just a bigger scale. There were more eyeballs on it for an ESPN game. The plays that hurt Auburn the most were bigger plays. And in the end, you came out with a loss. And the subhead to the uh, observations on Saturday evening um, for those of you who subscribe, same song, different verse, the same rhythm, uh, maybe a little bit of a different key, but it's felt a lot like a lot of other Auburn games in the past, in the past few years.
1: I was feeling good at the beginning.
0: And, and I think any Auburn fan watching the game should have been feeling good at the beginning. Defense played really well to start. Uh, Auburn was moving the ball on offense, spreading the ball around with Bo Nix. A lot of guys getting involved. Tank Bigsby looking good to start. D.J. Williams having a good run early, and yet the big problem for Auburn is, I mean Painter, I hate to, I hate to, I hate to toot my own horn here, but what did I say on the Thursday pr- preview podcast? I said if Auburn plays a clean game and if Bo Nix can play a decent game away from home, Auburn's going to win this game. Here's the problem: is that we're talking after a law lo- an Auburn loss, and you can point directly to the fact that Bo did not play a clean game and did not play a good game away from home as the reason why they lost. Now, everybody plays a part in why Auburn lost on Saturday, but if you want to condense it down to the simplest of terms, the easiest of terms, you lost by eight points in a game where you gave the other team 21 points, including 14 early in the game where your defense was stopping them and they weren't able to move the the ball at all. South Carolina had one really good sustained drive that whole game. And it came in the second half. And then when you had a chance to kind of kick fire back, you gave them the shortest field of the day on that third interception. Three short fields, man. Like you can't—it's hidden yardage. Auburn almost outgained South Carolina by by two hundred, I think. I think it was two hundred yards almost. It was like one—it finished like one eighty-eight or something like that. that. The teams who get outgained by that much don't shouldn't win the game. But it's the hidden yardage of football. It's impressive
1: how hard at times Auburn makes it look. It's impressive that Auburn can often outplay teams. And you wrote this, either find itself in a situation like it did against Arkansas, where it miraculously finds a way to win against all odds, or in the case against South Carolina, as it splits the other direction, not enough. You know, it's like you played a better game in some aspects, but like at the end of the day, those turnovers were extremely costly Penalties. I mean, the defense also uh, not executing flawlessly with some very costly penalties. Now, you can push back on a couple of those, as I suspect yeah, some Auburn fans I, will. One in particular two in the first them. half.
0: I think two of them. I think there was one where McCreary kind of fell down and, and yep. was into it, and the ball was uncatchable.
1: Um, at one point, though, and this was after the first interception, and I want to talk some about those interceptions because you wrote about it, and Nick's is getting a lot of heat after this performance. After the first interception, I responded of the criticisms you can correctly make about his play. Interceptions are clearly not one of them. Lack of consistency. Well, well, after the first interception, I think that was true. That tweet aged very poorly as the day went Mm -hmm. on. I will say he threw only six interceptions as a freshman and he has been good about getting rid of the ball. But in this game, it was costly. And you pointed out that in 2019 on the road, even though he hasn't thrown a lot of interceptions, Bo Nix has chosen some moments to throw some really bad interceptions. Mainly Florida, LSU in 2019, and then this mm-hmm. year, the South Carolina game. Again, hasn't thrown a ton of interceptions, but in all of those games, the interceptions really came
0: back to hurt Auburn. Yeah, Bo Nix, I tweeted this out yesterday. Bo Nix inside Hare Stadium is a 61% passer, averaging about 7.3 yards an attempt, 11 touchdowns, Zero interceptions. It's not a. It's not going to win you the Heisman. For a young quarterback, those are good numbers. You're not going to get your team in trouble. You're going to manage it well, and you're going to make some big plays every now and then. Seven point three yards an attempt at sixty percent completion percentage tells me you're at least stretching the field when you're when you're getting your opportunities. Bonick's away from Jordan here. Fifty-one percent completion percentage. Five point six yards per attempt. Ten touchdowns. Ten interceptions. If you extrapolated home Bo Nicks as its own quarterback and road Bo Nicks as its own quarterback home Bo Nicks would be a solid quarterback in the SEC and road Bo Nicks would be one of the worst quarterbacks in the FBS in terms of his metrics as a starter you don't want to pile on him too much but the facts are the facts at this point you threw three interceptions in a game you lost by eight this time a year earlier you threw three interceptions in a game you lost by, what, 11? One of those in the end zone, by the way, against Florida last year. Another one throwing it in your own territory that gave Florida an easy touchdown. Kind of like what you did against South Carolina yesterday as well. LSU game, you throw an interception at the two when you had a chance to put some points on the board. You lose that game by a single possession. You throw an interception against Georgia last uh, this year in a game that, I mean, it really didn't matter at that point. South Carolina had a hard time sustaining drives against Auburn's defense. They had their penalties. They had that one sustained drive that South Carolina did. The run fits looked rough. They weren't able to kind of lock that down. Once again, they got the stop at the end to give them a chance. And once again, Auburn cannot finish the job here. I think a lot of the criticism is going to go towards Bo Nix, and it makes sense in this case because there was a there was a lot of there's a lot of things that went wrong, and you're the guy who touches the football every single play. Not only that, you touch the football a ton in this game, and we'll get into that a little bit later. We're recording this on a, a on Sunday, and I've already rewatched all the offensive snaps. It's uh, whew, there's a real there's a real uh, disconnect, I think from what Auburn is good at right now and what they are doing right now with this offense. And uh, the numbers aren't fantastic to say the least.
1: It is poetic that Auburn fans have basically spent the majority of the last half of the decade asking for more of a passing game, in particular the last two seasons. And now they are trying to pass the ball. If you Mm -hmm. look at the stat line, Chad Morris and Gus Malzahn want to air the ball out. And that is what Auburn fans myself included, have been dying for. And what has happened here over the last two games anyway is that this rushing attack is blossoming. And oddly enough, it seems like Auburn could have leaned on that rushing attack more in the loss to South Carolina. Um, and Auburn fans now are saying as much after spending, as I say, the better half of the last five years talking about wanting to see the ball passed more.
0: I heard somebody, and I won't, I won't dox him on the air, Somebody sent me a take. Somebody who listens to the show. Someone who's a subscriber. And I want to put this out there. The opinion was, is if this is a Gus Malzahn, regular Gus Malzahn offense, Auburn probably wins that game. Here's some numbers for you. Auburn had 83 plays against South Carolina. Bo Nicks dropped back to pass 45 times. Those are just dropbacks. He also threw the ball, or it was a passing play out of an RPO 12 more times. So... Or 57 out of 83 plays, where Bo Nix was the primary man. There's 26 plays where the ball was run by either a back or a receiver, or it was a design run for him. If you look at the number of runs that Auburn had in this game, I believe it is something along the lines of like 23 runs. You know, for people not named Bo Nix. Oh, actually, actually, it's even worse. Uh, or I say worse. 21. I think anybody who watches Auburn football play can see that the brightest spot of your offense now for three weeks running is Tank Bigsby. And like you said, Painter, that, this offensive line starting to come together a little bit more in the running game. Now, they weren't as good in this game as they were against Arkansas. But here's a game where Tank Bigsby touches the ball 16 times. And Bo Nix has it 50-something times. And I know the quarterback position you're going to have that. But that is a giant gap, considering the way those two guys are playing at the moment.
1: I don't disagree with you. Oddly enough, it now looks like if Auburn has gone with the game plan of the last three or so seasons, a much more run-first approach, even though there was quite a bit of balance last year, I do agree with you. They probably end up grinding mm-hmm. that game out, especially given uh, the outsized impact yeah. of those interceptions. But but um, do you make anything else of what we saw in terms of the interactions on the sideline, the body language of the team,
0: like before before we get to that, I wanna make one more point here. Okay. And it's about Tank. Tank Bigsby, you can look at him like certain situations, I don't know why Auburn didn't go to him more than mm-hmm. they did more than they did. I wrote about this again Saturday at The Observer, when Auburn opened with a field goal, Bigsby got into the twenty one and then they went three straight passing plays. When he got into the red zone with a 14-yard run, a drive later, they went with three straight passes again, this time ending with Stove catching a touchdown pass. When they ran the ball in the red zone, they scored a touchdown. Uh, In the second half, he only had three carries on an 11-play drive that ended a field goal, and he didn't get a single carry. They went three straight plays for Knicks uh, on a three and out right after that interception. In the fourth quarter, Bigsby tears off two really big runs, doesn't get the ball again but one more time in the red zone and it's like Tank Bigsby averaged seven yards a carry against South, almost seven yards carry against South Carolina and Bo Nix threw the ball 47 times I get it that this is the way you've been wanting to go and this is the way you're building your offense here's the fact of the matter away from home especially Bo Nix is not putting up the numbers right now he's not playing well enough right now I don't think where you can say hey you've got to be our guy for 75% of the snaps right especially when you have a running back that is so hard to tackle and you have a running game that's starting to find its groove. They were really committed to establishing the run against Arkansas, and it doesn't seem like they were against South Carolina, and I'm very curious to figure out why that was the case. Do you think
1: it could have anything to do with general expectations that that's the way it should be done now, or is it just that they thought they weren't going to run into those turnover issues? Because I can understand on a certain level saying, we've got this quarterback, it's year two, we've got a veteran group of receivers, we've been talking about moving the ball through the air, we're going to commit to this even though it hasn't worked. And like to me, it does seem easy in hindsight to be like, why didn't you run the ball? Tank's averaging seven yards a touch over the last two weeks. But I can also understand there being this outsized sense of pressure to prove you can move the ball through the air.
0: It was definitely a game plan thing of some kind, and it's interesting because it wasn't like South Carolina was just stifling on the, on, on the ground. I mean, their run defense is good, not great. Their pass defense, though, like, and this is where the problem that you, you, you run it into, you wanted to throw the ball a lot. J.C. Horn's really good, and yet he got tried over and over and over again. I'm pretty sure Seth Williams only caught one ball against J.C. Horn the whole game, and that was that 55-yard, or however long it was, deep shot. That was it. They went back to that well over and over and over again. You go in the fourth quarter, you know you do want to you do want to throw the ball, especially on that last drive. That's how you have to get down the field at that point because you got to move quickly. You know, Bigsby tore off a really good run on that second to last drive, and I just think the way Bo Nix was playing, the miscommunications that had been having happening with his receivers, the frustration that was very apparent from him and his receivers, and pretty much everybody in the offense and just the general inconsistency and inaccuracies that he had they still went all in on him trying to win that football game he made some good plays after his third and inter- his three interceptions but still it's not quite the level of of production that you want to see especially when you know you have a running back that's doing well
1: i was pretty baffled on the last play of the
0: game too the play before WL. it too remember he scrambles he scrambles on the play before it and at some point, man, like, you've already thrown three picks. Just get that Take ball out of the there. End
1: zone. That's the that's get, a time where you can force it because, baby, there's not any time left. Well, like I,
0: The second-to-last the second play, they run, like, an out to Stove. And, like, I wish I had all 22, but, like, even on the broadcast camera, you could see Stove get open. And if he just sets his feet and just, don't, just like, drives the ball to the outside, you're going to get out of bounds. You're going to have time to think. Instead, they scramble, and he tries to jump over somebody. Which uh, almost I mean, that looked like it could have got it could have gone really poorly. They get out of bounds, South Carolina ends up helping them out by calling a timeout. When you say it could have
1: gone poorly and that he could have landed out of or excuse me, in bounds instead and the game's over at that point.
0: That's part of it. I think you're also just gotta worry about your quarterback like possibly getting hurt no when he gets flipped depth. flipped in the air at that point. Or at least any proven quarterback depth. Yeah, it's just it's just the awareness. It's just the awareness to what to do in, in these pressure pack situations. We saw the, the, the mishap with the with the botch spike and the fumble that went backwards and all that against Arkansas. And in this case it's just hey you gotta turn the thing loose. Yeah, so I was
1: joking, you know, at the end of the game, like, baby, this is the one time I don't care if you throw an interception. I mean, I won't be thrilled, don't get me wrong, but I'd rather you take a shot on the second to last or the last play of the game and have it intercepted than because the what, game's over. Yeah, you know, what
0: it was we got. Think about it on that play. When he scrambles and he takes off at the very end, he has to score. You've already burned enough clock that, I mean, he gets hit. at the. There's a holding on the play as well, but he gets hit with like one, two seconds left on the clock, right? You would have had to have scored. Like if you're scrambling, you're going to have to turn into Vince Young right there and get into the end zone because you, you have to let it go. The game is ending on that play right there because of the, what happened on the previous play. You I mean, you had 20-something seconds and you had two scrambles at the end.
1: While we're getting hung up on specifics of plays and end of drives, what do we make of the end of the first half and the clock management on that possession?
0: I was baffled by Auburn not taking a timeout. Yep. They're going fast, and I get it, but like when they go fast, the wide receivers were not aligned correctly at the line of scrimmage. And so they had to burn off a few more seconds pulling them back. At that point, when it's chaos and you know, okay, we're not getting that snap off quick. If you're, the, if you're over on the sideline, I don't know why you just turn and say, boop, all right, here we go, timeout. Because you also have another one as well. Force yourself into a Hail Mary position, and you get sacked. You Could have gotten some more points on the board. Carlson would have had to have hit a long field goal at that point. But, like, it hurts to go to the locker room with two timeouts in your pocket, knowing that you had, <laughs> that, that you lost a lot of time there on that last drive.
1: Uh, DJ Williams, we talked about Tank, and how could you not, but. DJ Williams, I guess, not to be totally forgotten about in this performance while we're talking about running the football.
0: He had a decent day running the football. They didn't really go to him much after the after halftime because they didn't go much to the running game whatsoever after halftime. But I think Williams finished with more snaps than Tank Bigsby because he was on the field almost every play in the fourth quarter doing pass protection stuff. Uh, he's your lead pass protection back. He did a good job at that. He helped out on offensive line. That still got issues in certain spots. Sean Shivers made the trip, went through warmups, But, again, this was a game where they were throwing the ball a ton. That's not a game script that is going to feed in well to what Shivers is right now. Bigsby and Williams bring you a little bit more in terms of production-wise as receivers and as pass protectors. What you are you expecting to...
1: to hear about Shivers in that case? Because... I don't know.
0: I don't know. I wonder if it's a, just, a you know, we could have used him in an emergency situation or something like that. I don't know. I really don't know. You wanted to talk about the sideline. Yeah, what's going I'm sure on there. it's,
1: you know, I, I think that that kind of stuff happens in sports. I'm not um, going to brush it aside and say that it's insignificant, especially given that they didn't have a good game together. Like, I don't think it, that that is not a sign that the team is coming apart. That is not a sign no. that there is all kinds of unrest
0: in the locker room.
1: That kind of stuff isn't a great look, And no, you prefer it not to be happening. It um, hurt you because
0: in that third quarter you couldn't do anything.
1: So like, it's not something that you can just brush off, but I don't think that it's a sign that you can make out too much from it either. You know, unless you're in that locker room, it's hard to know exactly what it is we are watching when you see two guys who I think are rightfully competitive and you know at least one of them certainly wasn't having a good day I don't know having gone back and watched the film what you thought of Seth's performance but at least it, if you just yeah. look at wasn't his a good stat day. line it wasn't good
0: it wasn't a good day for him and, and there was miscommunication and it wasn't just between Nick's and Williams but it was with Knicks and uh, the other receivers at times if you're gonna if you're gonna throw the ball that much you gotta be you gotta be locked in um especially away from home
1: is 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 it true that he was too locked into Seth throughout that game because in the beginning of the game it looked like there was a very much concerted effort to spread the wealth.
0: I think the issue for Auburn in this game wasn't that they didn't throw the ball to these other guys. It's about trust in certain situations. When you see late in the game the unwillingness to throw the ball. All three of those picks came on third down. Two of them were going towards Seth. One of them was going to Xavier. There were a lot of third down, just throw it towards him. There were a lot of targets in key situations that went towards him. I know there were a few third down conversions from Stove, a couple of them from Stove, and Schwartz made an especially really good one at one point in the game. But, I mean, it's just that it's just that lack of consistency and it's that, that miscommunication that you keep seeing. You can't hit Schwartz on the deep balls that you tried, the couple of deep balls you tried in the game. It seemed like Bo didn't know how far Seth was going on on a couple of those comebacks, including one that got picked.
1: On the pick six, what did you see looking back? Well it at wasn't the a film? pick six, but Or yeah, I guess he got stopped around the ten, didn't he, excuse me.
0: Okay, here's the first thing here's the first thing I wanna I want to say about that. Here's the first thing I want to say about. It. Immediately after that pick happened, there was like this thing going around that like Seth gave up on the play. Go watch the play. The pick happens and he's immediately sprinting to go try to tackle tackle the guy. That
1: was Yeah wasn't... that was a weird take um but was they're just a miscommunication on what the route was supposed to be run, or was the ball That's- simply thrown behind him? Like, w- what do you think happened? Because I agree with you. I saw the same thing you did, where Seth sprinted after, and, and I was mistaken. Went- he didn't score, but he got
0: what down near yeah. the end zone. It was like six yards. To me, it looked like to me it looked like both thought he was running the running the route nine or ten yards, and Seth ran the route eleven or twelve yards. And those back shoulder throws, it's all timing, and then just trust. Lo and behold, it doesn't work, and it's a pick. And it's a big one because it gives South Carolina their easiest field position of the game. But yeah, there was people are like that Seth had like given up on the play. And like, look, look, man, body language is body language. Frustration is apparent, whether it's the quarterback, or it's the wide receiver. Or it's There were several wide receivers that had some issues with that. Defensive players uh, had some body language, had some body language that people didn't like. And you can magnify any little incident and say, well, this is a, this is a huge problem, especially when you're, as a fan, if you're frustrated after a loss, but like that team didn't pack it in. They got the stop they needed at the end to give them a chance, and that offense moved the ball twice. Everyone's talking about Seth. Seth Williams is 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 done. You know he's he's he looks checked out, and then he hits a big, and then he gets a big play. This one gets called back on a holding call from Xavier Capers. However, pointed out like it as as tough as his day was, it wasn't like he just quit playing. As upset as Bo Nix looked on the sideline during the game, you know, Stove said he didn't pout. He was still trying to get people up, trying to pick people up after the game. It was just something was off. This is a young offense. This is a young offense. And, like, leadership needs to step up in that point. And I think for a team and a defensive perspective, you're missing KJ Britt in that regard, but the defense rebounded from that. On the offensive side, though, man, like, there's some issues. This isn't like a. You know, the the locker room has turned on Bo Nix or, you know, everybody's people who don't want to play for Gus Malzahn. It's not, it's not doom and gloom at that point. Like, we haven't reached nuclear levels of that. But I think you can see the way Auburn handled that third quarter. Malzahn said it after the game, we didn't handle adversity well. And that was very apparent on the offensive end. And that was very apparent from the shots that we saw of what was going on on the sideline. Yeah, we'll be curious
1: to see what the response of this locker room is like, because if we have any evidence of Malazan-led teams, it's that they won't quit this year. It's just that they may not be good enough to keep winning.
0: Right, yes. I
1: I don't know if you have any evidence that you can truly point to that since Malazan has been head coach, that a team has flatly quit on them. 2015 was a bad year. 2015 they didn't. But they just didn't have a good team, and that manifested itself in a few ways. 2016, they collapsed down the stretch in part because of an unhealthy quarterback, Again, I guess I didn't exactly feel like they quit in any of those games. And so that's kind of where I tend to think this is going. My other question is, how much of that do Auburn fans care about? And I think right now Auburn fans would say, if you were around in 2012, you know how demoralizing it was when it was obvious that the team was just ready for the season to be over. So I do think some credit has to be served in the Arkansas game and South Carolina game for the defense fighting and giving the offense chances and... For the team, generally over the years, finishing the seasons, even if it's not necessarily finishing it well in the win-loss column, right. But you, you also wrote something to this effect in year eight of a Gus Malzahn team. Fans are not so interested in hearing about potential.
0: Oh like, yeah, absolutely not. And I, I get, I'll go back. I'll go back to the thing about effort. Is that that is usually something that a lot of fans want to point to when their team's not playing well. That's not always correct. In this case, the bigger issue for Auburn right now. Is that that offense did not know how to respond to adversity when it hit them that hard in the third quarter, and that even when they came back there down the stretch, it's still this offense still has just major issues of getting all on the same page. And yeah, it's year eight. So I had the first question in the in the press conference yesterday.
1: How was that, by the way? It was a little icy. Uh, whew.
0: I mean, Malzahn not necessarily
1: wasn't. from Gus. I can just imagine no. But no one probably wanted was dying to be the first person to break the silence. Let's put it that way.
0: Malzahn. I mean, looking dejected, looking upset as as normal. But the first question I asked him was like, "Gus, this is another game where your offense starts really well and then falls off. It's just it can't all come together. It's the inconsistency. You know, what do you what what do you think the underlying cause of that is? And the first thing he mentions is that not going through spring. And it's like, okay. That, i'm not I'm not disagreeing that that didn't have an effect on your team especially a young team especially a team with our young offense and a lot of pieces on the offensive line that are I brand think new you
1: made a good point that every team has to deal with that right everyone but, but some teams some teams it would affect you more greatly depending on what position groups and how many players like there's a skewed argument for some teams but at the end of the day you also pointed this out you got a bunch of first year coaches at programs they're first-year coaches for a reason because those programs were not having success, and yet the offenses are rolling. It does not add up. That to me cannot be an excuse right now. It it, it is true. It is true, and it may affect Auburn. And you know, maybe to an extent. Well, a no like one wants Ju- to hear it. No, yeah, no one no it part also, of the fan base wants it, to hear it. I, I yeah, I don't know if it really serves you much of a purpose saying it, even if it's right. true.
0: Right. Even if you're Gus, yeah. if you're playing a PR game, it doesn't seem to help you much. There are positives to this offense. Tank Bigsby is going to be a superstar running back in the SEC, and it might happen pretty quickly. Your offensive line is starting to make people move the ball on the ground. It's a little bit more consistent in the pass protection game. I think there's a couple of problem areas they still have to sort out there, but it seems like they're going to kind of be locked in with who they got at this point. On top of that, you have... Two wide receivers in Seth Williams and Anthony Schwartz that are game-changing game types of talent. Eli Stove is one of the most steady receivers in the SEC. You get the ball in his direction, he's probably going to catch it, and it's probably going to go for a decent decent amount of yards. Having him back was huge on Saturday. You've got some younger pieces on that on that offense that you like moving forward. And, yes as poorly as he played yesterday and as poorly as he's played in road games and as bad as his numbers are, like you have not seen the progress that was expected. You haven't seen the step forward that was expected, especially with him coming in under Chad Morris. Bo Nix makes plays a dozen or so, more than that times in a game where you're like, those are some big time throws. Those are some big time throws. He had some scrambles and some decision-making in the pocket that looked really, really good. And then he has some decisions that that are poor, Right much like Seth Williams has games that are poor, much like these wide receivers have drops, much like these this offensive line makes mistakes. I think Bigsby's one of the only guys where you can say that he hadn't really had a whole lot of issues there to that point. So uh, there's positives, right? But there are teams that are just clicking on offense right now pretty quickly that have had to go through the same things you went to. And this is year eight you have a returning quarterback. You were one of the few teams in the SEC that had a returning starter at quarterback, and the offense has not gotten better. The offense has not gotten more consistent. You are still facing some of the same issues that you've faced over the last few years. Now, it looks different with the fact that you have a running back like Bigsby at this point, and there's some differences in how the game's going. It's very different in how they're calling the game, especially when you look at the amount of passing calls that have been in the, been in for Auburn, especially yesterday. However, I mean, I, Ole Miss was just collapsed yesterday. But like for the first three weeks of the season, there was there was not a there was not a more terrifying offense in college football. And um, each of these
1: teams has its own flaws. But Florida, since Dan Mullen came in, has had a better offense. LSU, oddly enough, even with their struggles this year, has had a better offense. Ole Miss, yes, they turned the ball over an insane amount of times. But generally speaking, this year with the first year coach, better offense. Missouri you have a
0: steadier pre. Missouri, Missouri's had better games on offense, had a true, had a, had a, had a, freshman quarterback come in and beat LSU for him. First time start for him. And like, at this point, Arkansas is a more consistent offensive team than you. And you know, they're not as talented and you know where they're coming from. And that really, really stings because you hired the coach that was the head coach there. And what, what do you got now? Arkansas has won twice in the SEC. They should probably be three and one. I'm also curious, and you should yeah. be one in three. At this I'm
1: point. also curious on a more macro level because I don't actually think any of these coaches are in danger of losing their jobs at the moment. But it's been crazy to see the, the two year the two weeks swing for Jamie Pruitt. Things were uh-huh. pretty great two Saturdays ago. Oh, buddy! Uh-huh. Funny how that'll change. Um, obviously, the conversations are Mike always Weech. being had around Auburn, and then Muschamp. I think Muschamp did himself a big favor with this win against auburn
0: oh i thought we i thought we were going to talk i thought we were going to talk about well you might
1: add him to the list as well but i i think it's early enough that they're not going to bail after i'll
0: it's early but like they everybody i mean think about how many people jumped on the bandwagon in week one and they have looked dreadful since then it's the only
1: game on auburn's schedule right now based on what we've seen after a month of play that i look at and feel a modicum of hope that they can win that game. Now, they're, the rest of the games on the schedule. Auburn can, in fact, win, I think, except for Alabama. And I will lump, Texas, a- I think they can, I will lump Texas A&M I think into they that can group. I think they can beat A&M. I think they can beat Tennessee. I think they yep. can beat Ole Miss, oh, yeah. LSU. Yep. I just think mm-hmm. the way they're playing right yep. now, if they play the way they did against Arkansas and against South Carolina, they won't win those games. But Mississippi State, they won't yeah, I mean, <laughs> So, to your point, yeah, Leach is probably yeah, in a weird State place, too. State looks
0: so bad. Right, state looks so bad. But what do all those teams have in
1: common? They all, oddly enough, don't have much of a semblance of offense. I mean, you've seen it at times, but not really, not consistently from from any of those programs. Is that a fair statement to make, or no? What you haven't seen offense. You haven't seen a ton of consistent offense from Tennessee. You haven't seen a ton of consistent offense from South Carolina. You haven't seen a ton of. You have from LSU. I'm, but like, I don't think Ed Ordron's in a in the same category as Must Pruitt. Oh no. Um, I am
0: getting confused on I'm getting confused on which group of teams we're talking about now. Are we talking about coaches or are we talking about I'm
1: talking about the program South Carolina, Tennessee? Oh, okay, okay. I
0: thought I thought we were talking about the teams who were who were left on the schedule. Yes, I, yes, yes. I, I, will I was agree. operating yeah. under
1: the impression that those are the three coaches right now that are under the most pressure in the league and that at least Mike Leach has mm-hmm. uh year yeah. one, so to speak, to lean yeah. Yeah. on.
0: Yeah. Um and, and Orgeron and Or and Orgeron, you know, or, it could go badly for Orgeron over the next couple of years, but like yeah, he's he just won the national championship last year. And so I guess my point um, in
1: all that is all those teams have seemingly, I guess, you know, fine defenses, in some case good defenses, but they all have pretty dreadful offenses on the whole. And it seems oh yeah. to be the oh thing yeah. that's landing them in the hottest of waters year after year.
0: It is. It is. And that's the thing. It's like people don't want to talk about potential at this point. People don't want to talk about – you know, we hear the good pieces. We think we can be good. Like no one wants to hear that at this point, because you're in year eight, and like as true as it might be, it's it doesn't it doesn't help out help help your case, especially when you see other teams with first year coaches start moving the ball really really well. Um, I will point this out. You made a statement at halftime. You tweeted this out. You said, everything looks so, la- what was it, labored? Uh, laborious. I, I-, I
1: don't know if that's the right word or not. It sounds very British. Yeah.
0: yeah. I was trying to say every um, drive
1: looks very hard. It's like a grind. Even if it's successful, it's mm-hmm. like, boy, they had yeah. to
0: work to make that happen. Right. And you corrected me. There was one drive that was different, but then that one drive had a huge play on it. But as that game went on, I started thinking more and more about it like that. And I, And I agree with you. I agree with you. One of the examples I, I could see, and again, it's tough to compare yourself to this team, but it's always going to happen. It's always going to happen, especially especially around here. But watch Alabama-Georgia last night. It was night. fluid. It was and, smooth. And you just see, I mean, you see the, it just, when Auburn, even to the point where it's like when they're running routes, when they drop back to pass, everything feels so labored for Auburn and very, very restrictive and kind of tight. And for Alabama, they just let that thing fly, and those receivers are ruined running fluidly. And now talent is a huge difference here. And I think you got to imagine that offensive line talent in Alabama lets you play with that kind of freedom, and you don't have that at Auburn right now. But it's just that it's that real tense kind of look to Auburn's offense compared to the Alabamas, to the Clemson's, even at times to the Floridas and LSU's of college football. We'll see what Ohio State looks like when they come back around. We'll see what Penn State looks like when they come back around because they're very much a team that can do that from time to time. We saw last night in Alabama-Georgia that elite offense beats elite defense. It's just a fact at this point. You know, Alabama beat Georgia not because... I mean, their defense played well, you know, especially in the second half. But they have an offense where... I mean, against a against the best defense in America, they still put up over 400 passing yards on it, right? You know, they they had Jalen Waddle run free. Najee Harris was playing well. They've got different receivers. Mac Jones looks locked in and looks really, it really good. So good. That team is playing yes, well. And against a defense, against a defense, you know, in the first half, I was like, oh, Georgia's defense has got them. I mean, they're 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 pushing them up against the ropes. And then Alabama took that second half and ran with it. Now part of the issue there I mean elite offense will beat elite defense look at the look at the standings of the uh, you know last season the uh, the four teams that made the college football playoff were in the top six of scoring in college, in, in the country. only two of those playoff teams were in the top uh, were in the top six of scoring defense and two others were way down the line LSU was in the 30s I think Oklahoma was in the 60s. You got to bring offense to this fight, and it's good to have a great defense. But I mean, look at the last few years for Auburn. You've had elite defense for the last few seasons, especially the last, especially last year, especially the last two years, I would say, with what you have with Derek Brown and Marlon Davidson, and some of those guys. Yet Auburn did not, could not get to the promised land. Whereas an LSU team just lit, basically lit the cut, league on yeah, fire. They cut
1: the front of the line last season with Joe Burrow. It's like they had a cheat code for a season.
0: Now, you want to be both, right? You want to be Clemson or Ohio State. You want to have both. But look at Alabama. Like Alabama's on track to be that LSU type of team this year where it's like, oh, we're just going to outscore all of you. I don't
1: know who has the best offense, Clemson, Ohio State, or Alabama. But when we find out, that is who I'm willing to put my futures national championship bet on because all three of those teams are going to have capable defenses. So at that point, sign me up for the team that has the best offense and if there is a marginal difference and we can tell I will be placing a handsome amount of money on that team um, also I will say speaking of like you know there's some other teams that are kind of interesting to think about like uh, Oklahoma is a defining characteristic of this group because they've been in the playoff but like they have such bad defense that it does become a liability it's an mm-hmm. interesting case where you don't have to have the best defense yeah, but you have enough to play defense to win it
0: Yeah, yep, yep. But like we saw LSU last year, not have an awesome defense and still win the SEC, right? And Georgia, Georgia's problem last night, and he—I mean, as good as he looked, it's as good as he's looked to this point. That Alabama defense, as you know, they're not—they're not up to the standards you usually expect in Alabama defense, right? But um, they're still filled with five and four stars, and if you're bringing. A walk-on quarterback to a five-star fight—it's not going to work out for you because after halftime, Georgia looked very much like a team that was running the ball through. I mean, running their offense through a walk-on. And again, can you imagine what the world would have been like if they had decided to roll with Justin Fields over If you're Jake a Georgia Frum?
1: fan, I think really over the last half decade, the only thing you can truly hold against Kirby Smart—it's not. It's not necessarily even losing the national title game to Alabama just because Alabama's a great team with lots of good depth and they figured that second half out and they had some things go their way with. But why did Alabama beat you? Yeah, and like I think the thing that you can actually the one because
0: they had two great quarterbacks. The one and you thing had you zero. can be
1: mad about Kirby Smart is that Justin Field situation. If you're a George, other than that, I think you should have nothing yeah. but love and thanks for a guy who's. You know, taking what Rick did, and if anything, just raised it a little bit because of the recruiting. Um, but you know, ultimately, Georgia fans are going to say, mm-hmm. "Well, we're kind of in the same spot."
0: Yeah, and to get to that elite elite level, you have to do that. It's switching this back to Auburn. Your head coach is an offensive-minded guy. He hired a guy who was a former head coach that he had a really good relationship with. You had a you have a 5-star quarterback. You have one of the best running backs in America. You have two-star receivers. Now, that offensive talent, offensive line talent is not what it needs to be to be a, a high-level team in the SEC. But that's a group that you can make more out of three-stars and underrated guys than you can maybe elsewhere on the field. That being said, it's year 8. Auburn's offense is well, not getting better. This of year. Wo- but the, 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 that was the whole thing heading into this year. No one in their right mind, I think, expected Auburn to compete for the SEC title this year. It was like, okay, the schedule's tough. It's a weird year. The offensive line's it. But if you can take a step forward, if Bo can progress, if the Chad Morris effect works, if, if you move the ball better, if you can run the ball better, right? If you can put all that together and take a step forward on offense, 2021 is where, okay, maybe the defense is a little bit more settled. Your line's a little bit more settled. The schedule's easier. Hopefully, this time next year, we're not talking about no non conference games and that we're getting a normal looking year. You do get George and Alabama at home, which George is a different case, but Alabama, playing Alabama in Jordan Hare Stadium when you are good is in just. In fact, it's about the best
1: thing I would say of Gus Malzahn's it, tenure. It's the thing that has it's been some, most it's some consistent. Like, at if this you're going to talk about big wins for a program that right now is really frustrated about a lack of big wins, that's the one he's
0: had no issue with in Jordan Hare. Right against that right. team, but you have to take that step forward on offense. And to this point, the only thing where you can say Auburn is taking a step forward on offense this year is that you have a running back who is better, you have a running back who is better, and that offensive line's doing a little bit of a better job of being of of creating some holes for them in the ground game, especially these last two weeks. That's it. That's it. In other areas, you can say they are they have plateaued or taken a step back. And I get it, like you said earlier, Painter. This is a, this was not the ideal year to have a new offensive line and a new offensive coordinator, right? Not having spring ball effects, but that affected everyone. And it affected some of these teams that have first-year coaches and first-year And more importantly, don't have as good a player. Like all
1: that other stuff aside, because it matters. Like yes, so If yes. we're going
0: to talk about stars mattering
1: as much as they do, okay, credit to Gus Malzahn and his yep. staff.
0: Old Miss, yeah. Arkansas, and Missouri so are not as good as this- you. South Carolina's I, I not as good as you <laughs> The staff
1: for having better teams because they went out and got those staffs. Right. But uh, or those players. But on the other hand, this is the same staff. And at least it's the same head coach that has consistently come up a little bit short, I would say, in terms of where they want to be recruiting on the offensive line. That doesn't mean that the offensive line can improve. But I think relative to its competition right now, it's not where you'd hoped it would be.
0: I think the great exchange this year for Auburn was going to be you weren't going to win the SEC, but like next year, you you have your best shot probably in a little while with everything that's set up that way. And so, yes, it's a weird year. Yes, it's a tougher schedule, but just get better, give people some hope moving forward. And that's the thing you're you you know you're talking about the potential of this offense, which is still could be the could be true. But this was the year the potential was supposed yeah, felt- to come through. You can't just say, yeah. Like there was a little bit of wait till next year to it, but that was more of like the where okay everything gets kind of settled. You had to start showing some progress and getting closer to where you were as an offense last year, which was average. You know, in a, a, for a for a team of Auburn's caliber to great, which gets you into the conversation of a team that can if it can win the division. Make it to the college football. Yeah, win the division yes. and
1: you're in the college football playoff conversation. Obviously, you probably need the champion, but you know Auburn's got a hard enough schedule that who knows. And, and, and I.
0: And and I get and I get how it's frustrating if you are an Auburn fan and I and I hear it Look like, all these Auburn fans who are upset online and and you know I get it like I understand where the frustration is coming from because you can see not only teams that have first year head coaches come in and just pop in here go here's awesome offense but like teams with like defensive minded head coaches are figuring it out on offense Nick Saban has adapted and evolved Georgia they still need a quarterback and I feel like you might be you might be thinking a little bit differently about this Georgia team if you know Jamie Newman was was there if J- I don't know about JT Daniels um, but if you know if you had the quarterback that you needed but there's some defensive minded teams out there our defensive the head coaches that have gotten some offenses to just turn it loose. Ed Orton's a great example of that as well, and that's where the frustration comes down to for Auburn. And this team can recover. Like again, we're talking to bring it all back full circle. We're talking about a game where take away one or two of those interceptions and Auburn. Yeah, just wins by that virtue game. of I would right?
1: say how you put the defense or where you put the defense and. Obviously, South Carolina's ability to score on those short fields, the momentum swings of the game, and look—it's obvious now with what we've got at this point in the year that my eight and two prediction was very rosy and is not going to be mm-hmm. um, correct. You should have been—you you, sh- yeah. you should have been yeah, on Team Seven uh, like
0: me. And I was actually leaning toward six and four. But it did feel I, like I a year a second, though in which you
1: could lose to Alabama and Auburn fans, while they would un- be unhappy about it would in some ways forgive it because it felt like a favorable year against an LSU team that's rebuilding to some extent and got hit hard by some early departures unexpected and a Georgia team that I thought Auburn matched up with really well at the time going into the game I thought all right Auburn has a slight talent deficiency but makes up for
0: it in quarterback play over Stetson Bennett and we're here wondering if that's true at the moment Bennett's been the better quarterback and moving forward like again you can talk about potentially if the players aren't going to give up on the year, the staff's not going to give up on the year, and like they shouldn't, because like a, if you're getting, if you're a staff, you know you're getting paid to do this. And these guys take great pride in it. They put a lot of hard work, especially this year, especially all the crap you had to go through to get to this year, you know, with COVID and all that. But look at what you got ahead, Old Miss, worst defense in America probably. Just, yeah, if they the don't ball, turn the just through the ball, just threw six over interceptions awesome in a offense, rather ugly loss. if you loss.
1: can force some turnovers, uh, you got you got yourself a, a ball game
0: so you got that got an LSU team coming up who didn't play this week but their defense is a mess you're playing them at home as well you also have to play Mississippi State who outside of Vanderbilt I think you can say definitively who who is worse than Auburn in the SEC right now it's Vanderbilt and Mississippi State because Mississippi State looks hopeless out there at this point um what else uh you have to play Tennessee very inconsistent on the offensive end an incredible uh, start own, to the I game. I mean, they just lost an yesterday. Just be- Because of the turnovers, just the amount of turnovers they had, they have their own quarterback issues as well. You play them at home. You play A&M at the end of the season. And then you have Alabama, which I don't think anybody but Clemson is beating Alabama this year the way they looked last night. I don't think anybody's beating Clemson, by the way. They are terrifying on offense, and they might have the best pass defense in America. Like, they have the best collection of defensive backs, and that's, that's what you need to – that's what you need if you want to beat Ohio State Entertainment Alabama. Entertainment purposes only, but the so,
1: over-under on the Georgia Tech-Clemson game hit in the first half yesterday.
0: Whew. If you want to go with the fact that this team could still have a quote-unquote winning season, 6-4, and four, which in a regular year would feel like 8-4 and four probably, and you think, okay, can the offense turn the corner? There's enough here to see that belief, especially if the defense plays like it did yesterday. Auburn's defense has grown up a little bit we're about to be at the halfway point of the season as weird as it is and it still feels like auburn doesn't have a grasp of what it is on offense right now and that frustrates a lot of fans especially when you look at malzahn's background morris's background the talent you see on the offensive end and it gets to that point so i think in summary um if you're auburn I mean, you've uh, you've got hang. You get you've shown fight at the end of these last two games. And one time it got you a win, and the other time, you know, you lost at the nine yard line with a chance to tie the game. You got to keep swinging, and you got to have that fight. And Owen Papa talked about not letting this divide us, and people and fans online, and media, and whatever you know, getting under their skin, trying to get in people's heads, whatever you want to call it. If they can avoid that, there's still enough talent on this team for them to have a decent season—not a good season, not a great season, barring just a miraculous run here—but a decent season, and enough that you can say, "Okay, this isn't a this isn't this isn't full blow it up mode." Because it's going to be hard to go in full blow it up mode. Because I don't know if y'all know this, but um, money is tight everywhere, and there's still. Still a big buyout out there. I'm just saying. Like, if you want... If you're... For all the people who are pushing and saying that, like, this is going to happen, like, like, it's a lot of money, y'all. And that's not something that a lot of people have right now. Especially especially in in, in athletics. So... Um, but there's still hope. There's still hope to get this turned around. It's just... It's got to be... it's It's got to be a whole... It's got to look a whole lot different, I should say. Before... We wrap up the show, and we're going to wrap up the show with a little bit, a little bit of positive talk. We'll talk a little Ooh. Auburn basketball. Um, Let me interject here and ask practice. you: What did the
1: numbers say about Auburn's defensive line pressures?
0: Because defensively, the
1: numbers were good. You know, I don't um, think that Southwood they finished with 297 yards of offense.
0: Yeah, uh, not a ton of pressure in that game. Not a ton, but it didn't hurt them that bad. Um, felt like the passing the passing attack was very kind of. All or nothing, they had to rely on Auburn's bailing them out through pass interference. Again, I think yeah. Auburn's defense played well enough to win that game yesterday. Uh, they just had to – they had one really bad drive. Then They had to correct mistakes off of that. That's going to be the thing, man. This defense this defense was going to take a step back this year, but they've got some dudes out there. Like, Secoving McClain is playing his butt off right now. Colby Wooden looks great as a defensive end. They've got pieces, man. They've got some pieces. Um, they just have got to be a little bit more consistent and uh, avoid the penalty bug for sure. Um I want to I want to remind everybody at home that if you need something soft to cry into after Auburn's loss to South Carolina, homefieldapparel.com is here to help you out. Premium vintage collegiate logos on the softest t-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, all that good stuff that you can find at homefieldapparel.com you can use the promo code observer to get 20% off your first order if you have not done so already a lot of good auburn stuff including a sweet auburn basketball shirt um, that i've now seen a couple of times like out out and out around town so shout out to the folks the folks that are um getting hooked up through Homefield. hope you're using the promo code uh observer and uh yeah they they, they roll out a new team every week Uh, They're rolling out five new teams this week. They're going to do a big Saturday drop, and I have found out through sources who is going to be in among that five, and I will say the logo potential for this crew coming up is high quality. So if you're like me and you like to wear logos and shirts like that of, of college teams that you might not even have an affiliation with, you just think they look cool, homefieldapparel.com i'm currently wearing of course my my podcast attire is Homefield as always i'm wearing uh a shirt from uh a shirt from hope college which is a division three school in michigan uh, i have no idea anything about them other than the fact that the shirt looked really cool so and it's comfortable so you got it you got to have it and uh painter is painter are you still rocking the home field always uh avi uh, on forever. twitter is that still going to be know. your move
1: yeah, I think that's. Uh, I was. That's the move. Yeah, that's right. She understands Keke. that home field is comfortable, and without it, you're uncomfortable. I will say, okay, this isn't going to work out, Kiki. We're going to need you to calm it down just a little bit. Um, well, that's all exciting. I've I've totally lost my train of thought now.
0: If you want to hit the mute button there and take care take care of your beloved dog, uh, Auburn basketball underway. Uh, look for a story for Auburn uh, Observer subscribers. Uh, look for a story sometime on Tuesday morning kind of breaking down some some of the stuff we learned from Bruce Pearl. Uh, Bruce Pearl coming in huge with a gigantic press conference. Had a deep, in-depth quote on pretty much everybody on this team. There's a lot to like, you know, Painter. This this Auburn basketball team coming up, the vibe I get, kept getting from what we heard from Bruce Pearl. This going to be a fun team. It's going to be, it's young. It's got a lot to learn. They're going to have to grow up. A, a lanky, t- a tall team, a long team but should be super athletic. I think I think Auburn fans are going to get the best of both worlds coming up here because I think Auburn's going to go back to some of that, that fast-paced style that we saw from, from them you know, on their run to their Final Four. On top of that, I think you're also going to get some of that length and that height that those teams are missing.
1: The thing I'm most excited about is also going to be the thing that's the most frustrating this year. I'll be switching uh, between this team, of course, being wildly inconsistent but fun to also convincing myself that it cannot be stopped. This, of course, the latter is unlikely (laughs) to be true. They have oodles of talent, and Pearl has extracted the most out of that in years past. And I won't be surprised if by the end of the year, this is a fun team that could win some games in the SEC tournament. And I think they'll make the NCAA tournament. I'd be surprised if they didn't. But also, they're going to have some games where I think I'm going to be upset. Because... They're young, and some of these guys that have played in the past were asked to play much more minor roles. And we saw this last year with a team that was split oddly into very experienced players and very young players. Even for the experienced players who were asked to do new things, there were growing pains.
0: I think when you look at Auburn's team, the thing that sticks out to me from that roster is like Sharif Cooper, six feet tall. Turbo Jones is six one. I think Jamal Johnson is six four. Everybody else on that team six six or taller. It's the height that Auburn hasn't had in a while. There's going to be some question marks about the center position and what that looks like moving forward because you only have really two centers and Stretch out and Bola and the new guy Dylan Cardwell. A lot of versatility. And Pearl said on Sat uh, on last not Saturday last Thursday, everybody on that team is consistent enough to shoot the three outside of probably Cardwell and Bola right now. Like, this is going to be the five-out. Well, on top of being fun, wouldn't you like to think that that
1: should keep Auburn in games, assuming that may have some games oh, where yeah. just really cold from three, and that could be problematic. But assuming that they're hitting at a – playing at the level defensively that I expect them to, especially given their athleticism and, and the kinds of defense they've played, I think they're in mm-hmm. all these
0: games. I think that three-point shooting is going to help you keep yourself in games, and I also think yes. that th- that added height that you have and length is going to help you be able to rebound and defend – a lot of different teams. And it's it's kind of crazy. When you just look at some of the body types they got on that roster. Uh, you know Jalen Williams and Stretch and guys like that are already um, pretty impressive guys physically. Uh, you know, you're in a case now where Devin Cambridge is like 220 pounds, 215 pounds. So he's gotten... I've seen he's gotten some, some real split among this fans about
1: they can't tell if they're more excited for Cambridge or Williams. And they've both got a massive amount of upside and appeal. Uh, which player do you think Watching mm-hmm. their their games over the last year has the bigger step forward in in this season. Are you prepared to go out on a limb? Does it matter much uh, in that case? Yeah, because they're the guys Between that I consistently outside of Cooper because of what you know, obvious excitement he brings. Like,
0: oh by the by the way, by the way, if you're not excited about Jamal Johnson taking word. a step forward, you need to be um, because. Uh, Pearl called him the most improved player on the team this offseason, and we looked at this Auburn team. They did not get a two guard in the transfer portal like they wanted. Probably they didn't get a, a a veteran guard. Like he's one of the only he's one of the oldest players on the team, and if he takes that step forward, it can be a steady hand and a guy who can contribute at a high level. That's good. But I, I think between those two guys, I think Williams might have the better upside. Well, I think Devin Cambridge. Like yeah, they both be, had games. I mean, last we saw year him just popped. catch fire from deep. And and you know that inside out game that that Cambridge has is so good. But like, there's also West Flanagan, um, as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> or Alan, sorry. Uh, yeah, I mean, West Wes is there. Dad. Yeah. No, he's a. If West wants friends. to come out there, he can play. Yeah. Well, if West wants to, if West wants to lock down, he can. No, Alan Flanagan as well. So like, there might be some battles for that. So, I think Jalen though. The thing with Jalen is, is that he is a four, and he's got some people around him that 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 will, you know compete for playing time like JT Thor is going to be a guy that I think you you'll want to see get on the floor if you're Auburn. Um but I mean he uh there were some games last year where it was just like, oh, well he puts it all together. Yeah,
1: again, like outside of Cooper Look for out. obvious reasons. Um, those are the two players I see the
0: most intrigue around from Auburn fans. And and it's understandable. I do, And I and I do wonder if Jalen Williams in certain lineups could could pop down and be a small ball 5. And and if he looks good as a small ball five, and I guess this is kind of positionless basketball that you're probably going to be looking at moving forward outside. You need a point guard. And then everybody else is like your twos and threes kind of blend together. Your ones and twos can kind of blend together. Threes and fours sometimes blend together. Fours and fives blend together. Like you got all that versatility there if you're Auburn. But let's say Jalen Williams can be a guy that can run the five for you from time to time, you know, and and as Stretch and, and Dylan Carwell kind of take their steps forward what happens next season when you bring in a guy like Jabari Smith and you can put a four you can put a put an a, a, a now experienced Williams and Jabari Smith on that front line together like that that's the kind of thing where i'm, I'm interested to see how those are ro- those yeah. rotations are going to be a I'm lot intrigued of fun to track Johnson too and, that's uh, interesting
1: because last year i don't know where i got this from but i was expecting more out of him and maybe i just misread that maybe it was because of who was in front of him maybe yeah
0: I think okay. I'm gonna write a story about him on Tuesday. I think that's I think that's I think that's gonna be my Tuesday story because there's there's been a lot of buzz right. well, about hopefully him this offseason.
1: That turns out to be the case. Uh he is someone that I was a little disappointed about last year, so also, I'm glad that that's coming to fruition. Uh, or at least the some people in the program seem to think so.
0: Painter, you were a guy who attached yourself and by the way, got on the field a decent bit yesterday from yes. what I saw. Your yes. boy Dre Butler getting on the field in football a good bit. You attach yourself to him because of, you know, kind of his versatility, his size is kind of special. I know <laughs> you like your guys on your team with basketball, but I would like to pitch one to you right here as if you want to adopt him as your own mm-hmm. guy to look out for in the future. Okay, because I'm I'm feel, I'm feeling kind of like a lot of what you have, you can feel about Dre Butler here, and that is. Um, Chris Moore, the uh, the big man from Arkansas, right? So, have you seen anything about Chris Moore? The only thing that uh, I've seen is he came that on board,
1: basically got him at every position.
0: He is 6'6", 240 pounds. That is Cam Newton's size. That is legitimately how big Cam is Newton was Is he more of the J.J. Pegues um, type or more of the Drake six,
1: Butler type where it's like,
0: you know, you've got this... Okay, okay. I think he's more of the Dre Butler type. 6'6", 240, and, and like, mm-hmm. you can ask him to – like, very versatile. You can ask him to do a lot of different things. Um, he's playing the 2, 3, <laughs> 4, and the 5 for Auburn. And I'll be interested to see how much, reps, how much reps he gets, how much play he gets in the regular season, all that stuff. But, I mean, a guy that big and that athletic who can do some of everything is – that's a that's a potential like bench Can you bring bench him squad, be own, Like all star right there. You like
1: i just absolutely like man some children. Yeah, you know, just rough some it. people up. And, like I'd love to see him move with some finesse, don't get me wrong. I know he's got that side of his game, but I also wouldn't mind seeing him going in and laying some
0: wood. Yeah. I think the big thing you hear with Auburn is just this versatility, a lot of three point shooting, a lot of athleticism, a lot of youth. Which means oh, it's, it's going to be a very be combustible like team very in terms like, of oh, oh,
1: oh.
0: when it ca- when it when it catches fire, look out. But also, just know that sometimes fire can be bad for yourself as well. Like they're going to have to be able to sort some things out. But Bruce Pearl is very very proud of the way his team has handled COVID. Um, he said like the vast majority of his players have not had it. Uh, they've been able to practice um, and go through the protocols without really any sort of interruption. Uh, and he likes the work ethic that those guys have put in and the development they've had. A lot of them are bigger. A lot of them are, have, have really worked on their physical side of the games. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. And we will continue to write and talk Auburn basketball moving forward. I know more of you will want to hear about that um, as Auburn football's fortunes turn. Um, so we will have Auburn basketball coverage as well. And we will talk about it on here on the podcast we appreciate everybody for joining us. Uh, those of you who are listening to the free edition of the podcast, this recap podcast, and aren't subscribed, auburnobserver.com. Six dollars a month, sixty dollars a year, gets you access to all the stories, including film room, the you know the basketball stories that we're coming up with, you know later in the week, the mailbag on Friday, uh, and a lot more stuff to come with that. Um, and of course. Painter and I's preview podcast on Thursdays. Only two Auburn subscribers goes up usually Thursday evenings, afternoons, evenings, around that. around that, And we will do that for the old Miss game coming up uh, as well. Uh, like we said, $6 a month, $60 a year, auburnobserver.com. Painter, we've had a lot of people jump on board here these first, first few weeks of the paywall. And uh, we know there's some people out there listening that um, you know have, have joined up with us uh, who might not, you know who who might not have been on board at the beginning. We thank you so much because we've we've picked up a good number of subscribers over these last couple of weeks. Continue to give us feedback and all that about the show because I know we're getting a lot of that. Uh, rate, on, review, on subscribe, as well. love
1: interacting with you guys. Send us a message directly, mm-hmm. much appreciated. I do think that this basketball team is going to be like going out on a Wednesday and saying you're going to save your energy up for the weekend and deciding it's too much fun, so you'll just do it again anyway. This team is going to be fun. They're going to let you down. They're going to be fun. You're going to come back. I can't wait for basketball season. Ferg's got a lot of cool stuff to write about. I think he already mentioned this, but there won't really be any limitation to some of that nerdy stuff
0: he does. Football and basketball. We're going to be talking about it and writing about it as much as we can over these next few months. I think that'll do it, Painter. Jay Ferguson AU on Twitter. Paint Sharpless on Twitter. Bills play on Monday night this week.
1: Yikes. It's going to be rough, boys. It's going to be rough. Everybody – Throw on your Josh Allen jersey and just
0: have a LaBats. Hope for the best for our boys in Buffalo. Adios. We'll talk to you all Thursday. Those of you who are in the inner circle. Until then, go Bills.